Thanks for checking out the weekly sermon from Church of the Resurrection. We pray that God will use this message to speak to you and help you grow in your faith journey. We'd like to invite you to join us next week at one of our services, whether in live worship online at court.org live or in person at one of our locations in the Kansas City area. Church of the Resurrection is one church in multiple locations. To learn more about our service times and ministries, please visit Cora.org. We hope you enjoy this message. As we continue in worship, I invite you to hear these words from scripture. Our passage is from Luke chapter one. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary. When the angel came to her, he said, Rejoice, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was confused by these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary. God is honoring you. Look, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of David, his father. He will rule over Jacob's house forever and there will be no end to his kingdom. Then Mary said to the angel, how will this happen since I haven't had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come over you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one who is to be born will be holy. He will be called God's son. Nothing is impossible for God. Then Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. Then the angel left her. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of scripture. What comes to mind when you hear the word angel? Halos? Wings? Celestial beings descending from the sky? What if there's more to angels than the ornaments we hang on our trees? The word angel means messenger, and they're mentioned hundreds of times in scripture. They bring messages of comfort, peace, and joy. And who doesn't need more of that today? Sometimes the Bible says when we welcome strangers, we welcome angels without even knowing it. So let's discover now the angels found in scripture and the role they might just play among us today. I've been enjoying this series, Studying Angels in the Bible. They're mentioned hundreds of times. And, and uh, as I've been studying angels, I've noticed several times on social media uh, memes that talk about angels. And I wanted you to see one of these. I actually inserted my own picture in place of other people's pictures, but take a look. So I love this. God said, I will send them without wings so no one suspects they are angels. That's Stella when she was a baby, our granddaughter. She's now nine and her dog, Harvey. And uh, let's go to the next picture. And this is LaVon, my wife with uh, our dog, Maybell. God said again, I will send them without wings so no one suspects they're angels. I think dog lovers love those pictures. I'm guessing cat lovers would do the same, although I don't know if cats are really like angels or not. But, uh, you know, there's something about a dog. And when you get home, I get home from work and our dogs are already waiting. They hear me open the garage door and they're waiting at the door and their tails are wagging like crazy and they jump and, you know, Rocky comes and bumps me, you know, he wants to play desperately. And, and, and when I wake up in the morning, they jump on the bed and they come up, they want to lick my face, which I consider completely gross, but they, they just, 
they just love you. They love you unconditionally. And if you're down or feeling sad, they just want to snuggle with you. And there's something about them that acts as a messenger from God. I think there is something about, something to the fact that, that they do some of the things that angels do in bringing hope or joy or life or love uh, unconditionally to people. And so I can appreciate that. Um, today, we're not going to talk about dogs. We're going to talk about a celestial angel, a particular angel. His name was Gabriel, and Gabriel shows up in the book of Daniel, but then he shows up again in Luke's gospel. He's one of two named angels in the Bible. Michael is the other one. He shows up in Daniel, and then in Revelation, Gabriel shows up in Daniel and in Luke's gospel. So as Luke is preparing to tell us the Christmas story, and he opens his gospel, after an opening paragraph, he jumps right in to the story of Gabriel showing up to an elderly couple named Elizabeth and Zechariah. So I want to just ponder that for a moment. Then we're going to look at uh, Gabriel's announcement, her, his annunciation to Mary, and we're going to really hone in on his words, and I'm going to invite you to take those into your heart today, to hear them as a word from God for you. So uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're in their 60s or 70s. We only know that they, uh, Luke tells us they are getting up in years, and then later he says they're no longer, or Elizabeth is no longer able to conceive a child. They had always wanted a child, never been able to have a child. That was a source of grief and pain for them. And any of you who've experienced infertility understand the pain that they had experienced in their lives. They had prayed and prayed and prayed for a child. And in the first century, there were, there were people who thought, well, if you aren't able to have a child, there must be something wrong with your relationship with God. But Luke is really clear. They were righteous and holy people. They were pious people. And often what we find in scripture is God chooses those people who'd experienced the pain of infertility for some of his greatest work in the world. He has compassion for them and he loves them. And that's what we see in the story of Ezekiel, excuse me, Elizabeth and Zechariah. <clears throat> now, uh, Zechariah is a priest. They live outside of Jerusalem in the hill country of Judea, a few miles from Jerusalem proper. And Zechariah has the opportunity to, to, uh, to light the incense or to care for the incense inside the inner sanctum, inside the holy place in the temple. So he's going into the holy place, not the most holy place, but the holy place. When he's going in there, there's nobody else in there. I mean, this is something you get to do once in your lifetime, maybe, and this old priest is finally getting his chance to go and attend to the incense in the temple that's offered to God. And while he's in there, suddenly there's another person shows up. And this other person, well, let me just read it from the scriptures. An angel from the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled, overcome with fear. The angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give birth to your son, and you must name him John. I mean, what a powerful thing. And by the way, John, Yohanan in, in, uh, in Hebrew, it means God is gracious. So he's sending John. He, he's going you know, to allow this family to have a child. Now, this seems impossible. And of course, Zechariah doesn't actually believe it can happen. He says, how is this going to be possible? I, you know, I don't believe it. Tell me how it's going to be possible. And, and Gabriel says, listen, I'm Gabriel. You know, the guy from the book of Daniel, you know me. I'm, Dan I'm Gabriel. And I stand in the presence of God. Are you really questioning whether this thing's going to happen? Now, we read stories like this, and there are other stories of elderly people who end up having babies in the Bible, a handful of them, and they do seem mythical to us. Uh, this week, I, I began to wonder, what is the oldest age a woman has ever given birth? I wonder if you have any idea. I did not. I, I was much older than I had thought. And the woman was 73 years old, and her husband was 83 years old when they gave birth there in India, and they had used infertility treatments, and, uh, and, uh, and I just thought you might enjoy seeing a picture of them. Here they are, 73 and 83 years old, Yaramati and Raja. And, uh, and finally conceived in 2019. They were married in 1962, 2019. And on September 5th, 2019, they had twin girls, little tiny girls. And I want you to see a picture of them now. 
Now, Raja died about a year after they were born, and this picture was taken, I believe, last year. So these kids are three or four years old, three years old maybe, when the picture was taken. And, uh, and Yaramati is now 77 years old with uh, three or four-year-old little girls, twins, that she's raising in her home. So when I looked at that, I thought, okay, that gives you some idea how old you can be and still have a baby. And it tells me this, when we think about these stories of Elizabeth and Zechariah having a child or Sarah and Abraham having a child, you know, we say, well, that's not even possible. That couldn't happen. And I'm thinking, okay, in India, there's some fertility doctor over there who helped make this happen for this older couple. What is it to the God of the universe to see that Elizabeth and Zechariah could have a baby? It's not even one of the greater miracles God ever does if a fertility doctor can do it today. All right, so anyway, uh, this is Gabriel, and he announces this, and the child John, he's going to be known to us as John the Baptist. He's going to be born six months before Jesus, and he's going to be the one, the scriptures promised that there would be a new Elijah, a new prophet like Elijah, who would prepare the way for the Lord, prepare the way for the Messiah, and that's who he is. So God has a special purpose, a special need. He calls upon a couple who had been experiencing the grief of infertility their entire lives, and he blesses them, and Gabriel gives the word. Now, that leads to the big story I want us to focus on, and this story is about Mary. So, uh, so Jerusalem, 90 miles, roughly 90 miles if you're walking it, from uh, Nazareth to the north, uh, we're going to take you to Nazareth. And in Nazareth, there's a girl who's living in the town of Nazareth. Her name is Mary. It's actually Miriam in the Hebrew. So Miriam lives there. Miriam is probably 13 years old. Maybe she's 14 years old. At that time, that was the age that women married. In the ancient world, women married after they had their first period. And so Miriam, Mary, is in Nazareth. Nazareth is a little tiny town. It is, a, it is the other side of the tracks. It is Nowheresville. It is a place that maybe has 100 people that live there, live there at the time, based upon the archaeological work that's been done there. Some of the people lived in caves. So this is a place where uh, lower income people, lower socioeconomic people, where they lived in Nazareth. The, uh, the village is about three miles from a beautiful village. The archaeological re- remains of it are there today, Sepphoris or Zapori. And in Zapori, there were theaters, there were schools, there were luxury villas, there was shopping. It was a fabulous city. It was called the Jewel of the Galilee. And Nazareth was not Sepphoris. Nazareth was was where some of the workers lived. And that's where Mary grew up, was in Nazareth. So you might remember, of course, uh, Nathaniel, one of the disciples of Jesus, when he heard that Jesus was from Nazareth, you know, this is 30 years later, and he says, what good thing could possibly come out of Nazareth? right? That's Nazareth. So this is where Mary lives. This is where she's grown up. She's 13 years old, maybe 14. She's at, the, at a pretty, the, pretty much the lowest rung in the socio, socioeconomic world of first century in the Holy Land. And, and Gabriel shows up. And when Gabriel shows up, this is what we read. When the angel came to her, he said, rejoice, favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, I mentioned we're going to really hone in on what the angel says to Mary because I think these same words might be words that the angel of God or the messenger of God or God himself would want to say to you today. So the first one is rejoice. And the Greek word for that, karate, is a word that can mean just hello, but it literally means rejoice. And that's what I think is going on here. I think the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, is saying, rejoice, Mary. Now, I want to pause here for just a moment and think about this. This is Gaudete weekend in Christianity around the world. This is the, on the third Sunday of Advent, we uh, have Gaudete weekend. Gaudete is the Latin word for rejoice. So we rejoice. During the season of Advent, we have a couple of Sundays where the, you know, the, the colors are purple. It's a more somber time. We sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, a kind of somber song about our longing for the Messiah to come. We remember why we need a Savior, and we remember that he's coming for us, and we're also preparing ourselves 
you know, spiritually to uh, celebrate anew his birth, but also for the day when he'll come back for us. And so it's a sort of somber penitent season. But when you get to Gaudete Sunday, the third weekend of the month, you come to a pink candle, not the purple candles. You come to a pink candle. It is the joy candle. We rejoice. Gaudete, Latin for rejoice. We're going to rejoice on this day. And what the church said was, you know, two weeks of somberness we got to break that up with a little bit of joy. We got to break it up with rejoicing and and recognizing, you know, the world around us uh, is also, you know, in a kind of a somber place. It's getting colder at night. The the nighttime is getting longer. The daytime is getting shorter. That's going to continue. The daytime will be defeated by the darkness until we get to Christmas. And so in all of this and, and everything's dying around us, the leaves have fallen off the trees. It's time to rejoice. Now, in this case, Mary is told to rejoice. She's commanded to rejoice. Now, when we think of rejoicing, we often think of having joy, being happy, and, and it can mean that. But when somebody commands you to rejoice, they're not, they can't command you to conjure up feelings that you don't have. And if you're living in a situation that isn't happy, you're not going to conjure up happy feelings, but you can still rejoice. Rejoice is a verb. It's not a noun or an adjective. To rejoice is something that we do. And when we rejoice, we give thanks, we praise, we celebrate, even if we don't feel it. And that's what the angel was saying to Mary. Rejoice, Mary. Rejoice. I want to remind you that 145 times in the Bible, the biblical authors or the angels or the prophets or the apostles or Moses, God himself calls people to rejoice 145 times. Rejoice, praise, celebrate, give thanks. And I think about the funerals that we do. So when we have funerals, we call them celebrations of life. So we're going to have a celebration Even though our loved one has died, we're going to celebrate their life. We're going to think about the good things about them. We're going to remember the happy memories that we have. We're going to focus on our faith and remember that death is not the end and that there's something more after death. And so we are going to praise God. And this is what we say in the opening liturgy in the the funeral services. Friends, we have gathered here to praise God and to witness to our faith as we celebrate the life of our friend. We're going to celebrate. We're going to praise God. We're going to remember and witness to our faith. And, and towards the end of that prayer, we pray, God, uh, we pray that you would grant us grace, that in pain we may find comfort, in sorrow, hope, and in death, resurrection. Now, Gabriel calls Mary uh, the favored one or full of grace. Kekeratomene is the Greek word, full of grace. And, uh, and so he's saying, you know, you have been blessed by God. God has given you grace. Grace is an undeserved gift. And God has given you this grace, Mary, and you don't even understand it. And then he says this, and the Lord is with you. Okay, these two phrases I want you to remember today. I want you to remember uh, rejoice as a command, and I want you to remember the Lord is with you. How can Mary rejoice when she's living under occupation with the Roman forces all around, when she's living in, in, you know, uh, at the bottom of the socioeconomic, you know, scale? How can she rejoice? She can rejoice because the Lord is with her. We celebrate, we give thanks to God because God is with us. You remember the Lord is with you. I, I think, I can't help but think about Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. And this is something that we believe. We, we put our trust in the fact that God is with us. Even if we can't see God, we believe that God is with us all the time. And so I want you to be able to say that. Will you just say that? Uh, actually, I want you to say it about yourself. The Lord is with me. The Lord is with me. Say that again. The Lord is with me. There are times when I'm alone or times when I'm afraid or overwhelmed or times when I feel discouraged. And I got to remember that the Lord is with me. The Lord is with you all the time. Don't forget it. 
All right. So Mary's response to the angel was one of confusion. She wasn't like, oh, that's awesome. Thank you. I'll rejoice. And I'm glad the Lord is with me and I'm highly favored. No, this is what the scripture says. It says that Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I mean, it's a little perplexing. Some strange person comes to you and tells you that you're highly favored and, and tells you to rejoice. They don't know anything about you. It tells you to rejoice and reminds you that the Lord is with you. Okay, what does this mean exactly? What, and you almost kind of get a, you know, get a sense that she knows she's being set up for something, right? And, and so this is what the angel says after that. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And actually he says, don't be afraid. Mary, God is honoring you. Don't be afraid. That's the third phrase I want you to remember. So rejoice and the Lord is with you and don't be afraid. You know, there's over a hundred times the Bible that the scripture writers say, don't be afraid. Sometimes it's God saying that to the Israelites. Sometimes it's Moses. Sometimes it's the prophets. Sometimes it's the psalmist. Sometimes it's Jesus. Sometimes it's the apostles. Don't be afraid. Now, it's been said that there are 365 times the Bible says, don't be afraid, one for every day of the year. I have never been able to find 365 of those, but I have found over a hundred times where the Bible tells us, don't be afraid. Why does it say so often, don't be afraid? Because we are afraid. We are fearful people. We are constantly, there's, a, there's something in us that is afraid. Inside our brain, a mechanism that's aimed at keeping us protected. And so it makes us afraid of things so that we're ready to fight or flee. And sometimes we have to overcome that inner impulse, that fear, in order to live the life that God wants us to live. We can't live in fear. We'll be paralyzed by fear. We're gonna find that it overwhelms us, but instead, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I believe God is saying to you today, I don't know what you're afraid of. I don't know what you struggle with. Rejection? Are you afraid of, what is it? Are you afraid that God won't love you? Are you afraid of getting older? Are you afraid of dying? What are you afraid of? I don't know what it is. You might even write it down. This is what I'm afraid of. And what scripture would say is don't be afraid. Don't live your life in fear. Jesus talks about this in terms of worry. And he says, you can't add one day to your life or one, you know, one foot to your height or even inch to your height by worrying. But instead we trust God. We trust God that the Lord is with us and we celebrate, we rejoice. So we rejoice, we remember the Lord is with us and then we seek to not be afraid. Lord, help me not to be afraid. When I go visit the hospitals, I really love visiting the hospitals. When I have a chance to go and sit with somebody, I sat with somebody not long ago after church, I went by to see them at the hospital. And as I'm sitting there in the hospital, I knew that they were facing a battle that might end in their death. And here was my prayer as I walked in the room, Lord, please help me to, help me to be you for them. Help me to be your angel, your messenger as I go to see them. I pray that when I walk in and just seeing me would be a reminder that you are with them. When I take their hand, that they might feel your hand holding them as I'm holding their hand. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to have the right words to say so that they would know that you're with them all the time and that they wouldn't be afraid. Help me, Lord, to do that. And you know, that's what happens so many times when you walk in and it's not just something a pastor does. It's often a friend who's there holding a hand. It's a family member who's there to say, I'm with you and your life belongs to God, and you're going to be okay no matter what. You are his, and he is yours, and he's with you all the time. Don't be afraid. Now, Mary is 13 or 14. She's engaged to be married, and Gabriel's about to give her a mission. So the angels sometimes come to give us missions, and he's about to give a mission to her, and that mission is terrifying, which is why I think he prefaces it by saying, uh, rejoice, and the Lord is with you, and don't be afraid. And by the way, you're going to have a baby. You're gonna have a baby. And I know you haven't, you know, you're not married yet to Joseph and you're gonna have a baby. Now you gotta understand in the, in the uh, Torah, in the law, it says that if a woman is engaged to be married and she ends up pregnant by somebody else, she can be put to death. So you're gonna have a baby and it's not Joseph's. Can you imagine trying to tell Joseph this story? 
An angel told me, Joseph, it, it really, the angel told me, it's fine, it's the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it does, it's not gonna work out very well, she doesn't think. So, so that's part of the mission. You're gonna have a baby and you're not gonna be with a man to have that baby. You are gonna have this baby conceived by the Holy Spirit. She didn't understand any of this. She's 13 or 14 and she doesn't understand the theology of it. How could she? And, and then she lives in a time where while women hoped to have children in that time and the children were social security for the man and the woman, for a family, they hoped to have children. At the same time, women were a hundred times more likely to die in childbirth than they are today, more than a hundred times. A hundred times more likely to die of childbirth then. And so this whole thing had risks for her, the risk that, that Joseph would reject her, the risk that, that all the dreams she had, well, clearly all the dreams she'd had as she was thinking about getting married, they were all gonna be gone. Then thinking about what will people say, the risk to her reputation, possibly the risk to her life, both in people choosing to condemn her or in carrying the baby to term. Rejoice, give thanks and praise. The Lord is with you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So God is honoring you. Look, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father. He will rule over Jacob's house forever and there will be no end to his kingdom. And this is a mind-blowing pronouncement from the angel Gabriel to Mary. The Jewish people were waiting for a Messiah. They believed that there would be a king like David who would come and rule over them and rule on behalf of God. And he would be like a priest and a king combined into one figure. And they were waiting for this and hoping for this. And, and they had all kinds of different conceptions about this. But what she knows, she doesn't understand exactly what he's going to do in his life. She doesn't understand yet that he's going to die at the age of 33 to redeem and save humankind, to demonstrate the depth of God's love for us. She doesn't understand any of that. To be raised from the dead, to show us that death never has the final word and sin and hate don't have the final word. She doesn't understand any of that. She just knows that this strange person is telling her she's gonna have a baby that's not hers. And that baby is somehow the son of God. That baby is somehow the Messiah that everybody's been waiting for. And she gets to carry that baby to term. Gets to, has to, must, is required to. I don't know what she was feeling at this point, but certainly this is big news. Now, the entire story of the incarnation and what, what uh, Joseph is telling us in, or what, excuse me, what, Zechari, uh, what Gabriel is saying in this moment is you need to know who this child is. He's no ordinary king. He doesn't have an earthly father because he has a heavenly father. He is fully God and fully human, as the creeds would say much later. And so the angel Gabriel is helping her understand this and helping us understand it through his pronouncement to her. Now, Mary, she seeks more information. She doesn't understand the theology. What she says is, how will this happen since I haven't been with a man? And the angel Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will do this. He will come over you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one who is born to you will be holy. He will be called God's son. So multiple times here, he's trying to say the same thing. This child will not be like any other human being that's ever walked on this earth. He will be holy he will be called God's son. You will not get pregnant the way an ordinary person gets pregnant because God is gonna do this miraculous thing in your womb. And it's amazing, Mary. It's amazing. And Mary becomes the most important person, the most important woman, and really the most important human who ever lived aside from her son because she's gonna carry the son of God in her womb. She's gonna suckle him. She's gonna, she's gonna nurture this child. She's gonna have a relationship with God, the son, like no one else ever had formed in her womb. Imagine if Mary had said no to all of this. But of course, Mary's not gonna say no to all of this. Now the angel, unless, you know, is a way of trying to say, look, I know this sounds mind boggling. I know it doesn't seem possible that this could happen. But, but listen, 
Look, in her old age, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. This woman who, has lab- who was labeled unable to conceive is now six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible with God, Mary. That's the fourth phrase I want you to remember. So rejoice, and the Lord is with you, and don't be afraid. And say it now with me, if you would. Nothing is impossible with God. I love that line. You know, that's the same line that maybe the same angel, maybe Gabriel delivered to Sarah 1,800 years earlier when Abraham and Sarah at the age of 90 and 100, Sarah was 90, Abraham was 100, and three angels, three strangers show up at Abraham and Sarah's tent and say, you're gonna have a baby. And Sarah laughs like, yeah, there's no way I can't have a baby. And the angel of the Lord, maybe it was Gabriel there as one of those three, the angel of the Lord says, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Would you say that just quietly under your breath or actually just say it out loud wherever you are. Uh, Let's say it together on the count of three. One, two, three. Nothing is impossible with God. All right. So I want to remind you of something the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 3.20. He's describing God and he describes God as him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. I think many of us have small dreams. We don't even dare to dream. We don't dare to listen if we feel like God is giving us a dream. Like, how could that happen? That's not possible. There's no way this could happen. There's no way I could do this thing or, or be a part of this thing. But the thing is, if God calls us, God can do anything. God is able to do exceeding, I love the old King James Version, exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or imagine. And the problem is often we're unwilling to imagine or to dream God-sized dreams. I remember when we started this church in 1990 and uh, I had never been to a church with more than 300 people. It was not my dream or my imagination to have a church with thousands of people. That wasn't the aim. The aim was to build a church that would reach thinking people who didn't go to church anywhere and to help them to find faith, to help them to find Christ and to see their lives transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit and then to inspire and encourage and equip them to go live out their faith in the world and to find joy in the middle of doing that. And we had no idea how many people would come. But you see, in the midst of that, I remember we went to start the church. And there were people saying, Adam, it's underfunded and there's no way you can do it and it's impossible. And, and, and yet somehow it got off the ground. There was four of us and then there was 20 of us and there was 90 of us. And, and that's how we started in 1990, 33 years ago. And I remember these dreams starting to percolate in my brain. And I'm like, okay, is that my ego or are these real dreams? Like, like maybe God could use us to encourage other churches and to give away resources that would strengthen other congregations. And, and I, I would tell people, and they're like, you're just a kid. You don't know anything. What? That's not gonna happen. Like, okay, well, maybe it's not. Well, you know, we started thinking about how many people would come here. And I remember Wendell Lady, one of the chair of our building committee and our visionary committee, you know, and he said, well, I really think we could have 1,600 people a Sunday in this congregation in 20 years. I'm like, wow, 1,600 people. There was no other church in Kansas City that had 1,600 people in worship at that time. And I, I tried to tell some people that and they smirked at me. They're like, yeah, that's not gonna happen. I'm like, yeah, it's probably not gonna happen. You know, and, and, and over and over and over again, you know, the impact we might be able to have in Kansas City, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could help Kansas City look more like the kingdom of God because we were here? And people are like, well, yeah, but you're just a little church. There's no way you can do that. There's all kinds of people who are willing to tell you why things are not possible. And yet with God, all things are possible, right? So, so I want us to, I want to give you just an example of what this looks like in somebody else's life. By the way, so at Resurrection, of course, you know, you're joining us at one of six area locations in Kansas City or on TV or online. And there's, you know, tens of thousands of people. And Christmas Eve, we're going to have, I don't know how many people, tens and tens and thousands of people. And the impact you have in the Kansas City area and beyond Kansas City and the world has been humongous. And last year, there was something like 15,000 churches that used resources from Church of the Resurrection. 
See, God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or imagine when you listen for God's dreams and you say yes. And sometimes it's not something as big as that. Sometimes it's, it's something very small, but you have a chance to do that over and over and over again. And God can use you and, and will use you if you're willing to say with Mary, here am I, the servant of the Lord. By the way, when I think about nothing is impossible with God, the very next thing that happens, so Mary's response to nothing is impossible with God is this phrase. And I want you to remember Mary's prayer too. So we remember the four things the angel said, that is rejoice, give thanks no matter what the circumstances are, rejoice. And then uh, the Lord is with you and don't be afraid and nothing is impossible with God. And then what does Mary do? Mary could have said, no, you know what? I'm not interested, I'm too afraid. No, this is not what, that's not what she says. This is what she says. She says, here am I, the servant of the Lord, let it be with me according to your word. Man, how I love that phrase. That prayer, that is Mary's prayer. So we know Jesus' prayer is the Lord's prayer. And then he also prays, not my will, but thy will be done and and several other things. Mary's prayer is not the rosary, the prayer, the Hail Mary. That's what the angel and Elizabeth said to Mary. No, this is Mary's prayer. And this is a prayer worth memorizing. Let's just say it together. Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Can you imagine the adventure in your life if every day you said that prayer? Here am I, Lord. And this is what I've encouraged you to do. Get on your knees in the morning if your knees are good enough to do that. Lift up your hands. Here am I, Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Use me however you want to. Do with me whatever you'd like. Guide me and lead me. I'm yours. What an adventure in life when you have surrendered your life to Christ in this way and said, do with me whatever you want. Here am I. Let's just say it again. Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Would you just close your eyes for just a second? This isn't the end of the sermon, but would you close your eyes and would you just whisper these words? Here am I, I'm your servant, Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, oh I wanna end by, by uh, casting a vision for you and sharing with you a vision I had this week when I had a chance to see some angels right here in Kansas City. So if you're watching, you see them all the time. It was, uh, it was Thursday of this week. I had a chance to go down to the Swope Health System now, Swope Health System, actually their main clinic, Swope Health was started in 1969. And, uh, and it was started in the basement of the uh, Metropolitan Missionary Baptist Church. Here's a picture of the church. And in the basement, there were a group of people gathered together. This church is located in a community, even in 1969, that was struggling with poverty, struggling with uninsured people, struggling with all kinds of human needs. And people in that congregation came together. And there was a young man named Frank Ellis. He, he came together with them and they, they were sitting, he might've been a part of the church, I'm not sure. This is Frank Ellis, but a much later picture. In 1969, he, uh, this is his, one of his retirement pictures, I think, but in 1969, uh, he's 23 years old, and, and Frank and, uh, and the, you know, the group of folks at Metropolitan and maybe some other people in the community gathered together in the basement, and they said, you know what, we can do something about this. In fact, God is calling us to do something about this. Jesus needs us to do something about this, to be his, I don't know if they use the term or not, but basically his earthly angels to be his hands and his voice in this community, to do something about addressing poverty and do something about addressing uh, the, the healthcare needs of this community. And so they formed an organization there that would start addressing those kind of needs. The first year, I think they, they had 2,000 people who came to see them as they launched this. Uh, Frank very quickly became the CEO. He's 23, 23 years old. Can you imagine he's 23 and this group of people, I don't know how old the rest of them were, but they are talking about how they want to change their community around them. They want to start a healthcare system. Like, Frank, you're 23. Are you a doctor? No. Have you started a healthcare system? No. Have you been a CEO of a healthcare system? No. But why don't, we, why don't you be the CEO of this little healthcare system here we're starting? 
that's what he does. 23 years old, he becomes the CEO. Maybe he's 25 by that time. And, uh, and so, you know, off they go. Can you imagine how many times they were terrified as they were launching this? How many times they went to the bank and asked for a loan and, and they were turned down? Or how many times that they were facing something and it seemed impossible and they, they all felt like quitting? I mean, this is true with any organization. I, I don't know the whole story. I'm just guessing that it was really hard and that there were times that they had doubts and questioned. And yet I, I imagine that they said, you know, but we're going to praise God in this. We're going to rejoice. You know, that we get a chance to try this and maybe we're going to fail, but we're going to at least try it. Let's rejoice about that. Hey, let's not forget that the Lord is with us in what we're doing. And we're not doing this by ourselves in our own power. And when it's terrifying, they encouraged each other. Hey, don't be afraid. You know, God's with us. Remember, God's with us. So let's not be afraid. And maybe they were a little afraid sometimes, but they managed to press through their fear. And then finally, they reminded themselves and other people, nothing is impossible with God. And the clinic grew into a healthcare system. They have 21 clinics across the Kansas City area. And it's amazing. Last year, this year, in 2023, they've had 48,000 unique patients and they've had 230,000 patient visits, which means that some people are there for, you know, there for reg you know, regularly and some people not. They have a, health, a uh, behavioral health system, a mental health system, and, and, uh, and people are taking care of folks in their mental health needs, the physical needs. They, they prepare people, women are birth, they give birth in hospitals, but they get everything else there at Swope Health System. They, uh, they have dental uh, clinics where they're offering uh, to meet the needs of people when it comes to their dental care. And, and that's why I was there actually this week. So earlier this year, uh, a team of our folks were saying, okay, what are we going to do this year? What grants are we going to make with the Candlelight Christmas Eve offering? I just remind you, every year we give away the entire Candlelight Christmas Eve offering. The biggest day of the year for us, we give away the entire offering. We invite people who are committed to Christ and the Church of the Resurrection to consider, not everybody can do this, but to consider giving an amount in their Christmas Eve offering equal to what they spend on their own family. We have hundreds and hundreds of families who do that. We have some who give considerably more than what they spend on their own family at Christmas in this gift to help children living in poverty. Half of it stays in Kansas City to benefit children in poverty here. Half of it goes to the international world, low-income uh, countries, uh, impoverished countries, and in, primarily in Africa, but sometimes in other places, to bring hope and light and life to children and their families. It's, it's the most awesome thing. And I'm telling you this now because on Christmas Eve, we're gonna have tens of thousands of people who normally don't worship with us and they're gonna put something in the plate. They're gonna help and they're gonna feel excited about that. I'm gonna be excited for them. But the way we get to giving away $2 million a year is because our committed people say, I'm gonna do something more than 20 bucks. Now, for some people, 20 bucks is a huge gift, but some, some would say, I'm gonna do even more than that. I'm gonna do what I'd spend on every one of my family members for Christmas, or at least one family member for Christmas, whatever it is. Anyway, so beginning early in the year, we start looking at what are the, you know, we have certain things we know we're gonna be funding, and then we say, are there new things? Are there critical needs in Kansas City or in other parts of the world? So earlier this year, we, did, we learned about Swope Health System's uh, dental, mobile dental clinic. Uh, it's basically like a giant RV that's outfitted with two places where, uh, two, uh, two chairs where people can have their teeth clean and have their dental needs met, x-ray machines, all of that. And, uh, and as we learned about this, we learned that that one mobile unit has seen 2,700 kids a year. They go to the schools because single moms can't take off of work to go take their kids to the dentist. 
So these are kids who are not seeing the dentist. Some of these kids don't have toothbrushes. Some of them share a toothbrush with other kids. 40% of the children have some form, some stage of health decay, oral health decay. Uh, and so lots of issues there. And they said, you know, if we could take the dental clinic to the schools and the parents could sign up, we could see 25 kids a day. And so in the last year, again, 2,700 children, uh, a third of those have no, their families have no uh, insurance at all. Uh, excuse me, yeah, a third of them, no insurance, 80% are below the poverty level. These are folks who can't afford for the you know, most basic things that you can afford uh, to do for your children, perhaps. And so they told us, you know, we've had this bus, but you know, if we had a second one, we could see another 2,700 kids. And our dream has been, we partner with nine elementary schools and four preschools across the Kansas City area is to wrap healthcare around those schools. And so we said, well, let's take a look. And so we began to look at this and we began to find out what it would cost to order one of these new buses outfitted with the x-ray machines and everything else. It's about a half a million dollars. And uh, our team came back and said, well, do you think we could do that on Christmas Eve? Do you think our people would support this? And, uh, and we finally voted to say, yep, let's move forward. I wanted to just see the existing uh, bus. This is what I went down to see at Swope Health, Swope Health System. Take a look. Something as simple as a dental cleaning and a toothbrush can change the world for a kid. And did you see those angels there on that bus? They got angels they take everywhere across Kansas City. Man, I love it. So I had a chance to be on the bus and that's what we're gonna be doing. Christmas Eve, I'm gonna tell you more about it, but I wanted you to get a, just a, a sneak preview of what we're gonna be doing with part of the funds on Candlelight Christmas Eve. Hope you'll plan to be a part of that. All right, so I, I wanna wrap it up by just reminding you of these, of these phrases. Rejoice. No matter what your circumstances are, rejoice. Remember that God is with you. Don't be afraid because he's with you. And nothing is impossible with God. And I, I want to end the way I began. So I showed you some pictures uh, and, and I love the phrase that shows up in these pictures. God said, I will send, I will send them without wings so that no one suspects they are angels. Uh, there you see again, Harvey is the dog's name and that's Stella. Well, which one do you think I was talking about? Of course, Harvey's uh, like an angel in some ways, but Stella's now nine, and as she's growing up, she's learning to give and care and show compassion for people. I look at the next one, and I look at Levon, and, and there's Mabel, and Mabel's a wonderful little angel, but when I watch Levon up close and personal, and I see the way she cares for people and the things that she does to serve other people, what I see is that God sent an angel in her without wings to be his messenger and to care. And you know what? The same is true for every single one of you. God sent you that you might be one of his messengers, one of his angels to bring hope and light and life. And the only question is, will you say with Mary the prayer that she prayed? And I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Will you pray with me? Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. 
Oh God, hear our prayers. We offer ourselves to you. We pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. You would help us to rejoice always, no matter what our circumstances are, that you would guide us, O oh Lord, to remember that you were always with us. Help us by your Holy Spirit not to be afraid and to never forget that nothing is impossible with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching this week's sermon. We'd love for you to join us again for live worship online or in person. To learn more about Church of the Resurrection, please visit core.org. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.